there. Can you turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 3? And if we get there, then that will mean it was worth the effort. If we don't get there, then it's still a good, real good chapter to read. All right? So go there, Genesis chapter 3 with me. Um, while you're turning, I took up my own advice last week. Last week I, I talked about playing to the level of the opposition. I shared with you about what I normally do with my um, touch football competition, how I make the decision at this point of the year that I'm going to get fit so that when I get down there in, in six months' time, five months' time when we play, I'm at that peak fitness. But every year comes and goes and I make the decision now, but two weeks out from the tournament I go, oh, oh no, I've got to play. I better get fit. And so I start going hammer and tongs. Well, I took my own advice this week and I've actually started already my fitness regime and I'm back at the gym uh, a couple of days a week. I've been to the gym about three times uh, since church last week. I squeezed in a bit of gym time, either late at night when I'm, I'm waiting to pick up uh, Jordan from work one time this week and a couple of other times in the morning and things like that. But I've started back and I'm, I'm doing the stuff and uh, in one week I've already torn a hamstring, I've done a calf muscle, um, tweaked my back, but it's okay, I'm in, I'm in the game and I'm doing the stuff, I'm going. That's, that's really all that matters at this point. But um, funny thing happened this week, I was at the gym and I'd, I'd done my stuff and you know, and I do mostly fitness, but every now and then I'll do a few weights and things. But for me, it's more about just fitness and, 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 and stuff. And I came home and I stood in front of my mirror and I, I went to, to get changed to have a shower. And I caught a glimpse of my reflection. And I thought, oh, the gym's already working. I reckon, I, I reckon I'm looking a bit buff and, you know, but yeah, my, 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 my flabs had turned into abs. They were like rock solid and... And I was like, oh, gee, I reckon that the gym's already paying off. Anyone ever do that? You ever look in your mirror at home? I've got a funny feeling bathroom mirrors must be magnified slightly. Is anyone, anyone else's mirror like that? I look in, it's, it's the only mirror that makes me look like that. Every other mirror, I'm back to like this. But my bathroom mirror makes me look like I'm, oh, this, this gym stuff's working. So if I want to get motivated, I go and stand in front of my bathroom mirror because the image I get of myself in the bathroom mirror is so much better than the image I seem to get anywhere else. Anyone else notice that? Was that just me? See, I'm putting myself out there. I'm a humble pastor exposing myself to you all right now. <laughs> I'll bring it in next week for you, Steve. <laughs> um, when we, Christmas time, we usually go on a bit of a holiday with the kids and we go up to uh, the Gold Coast for a week. And uh, one of the things that the kids love to do is they like to go to Time Zone, you know, that game place where they play. And... When you go into time zone, has anyone noticed the little... There's a wall there and it's got these funny-shaped mirrors. Anyone ever seen those? You see, she's already laughing. And they've got the, like, the wobbly-shaped mirrors and you stand in front of them and one of them I stand in front of and I look like the elf, or the dwarf out of Lord of the Rings, you know, just stumpy and really like this. And you stand in front of another one and you just look like a, the tallest man on earth, this string bean just standing there like a tree. Um, depending on what mirror you look into, you get this different image kind of reflected at you. It got me thinking about God and the image of God that we see. The image of God that we look at. See, when I looked at myself in my mirror and I looked all buff and tough and... That made me feel really, really good. 
It, it motivated me to, to think that what I'm doing at the gym, the blood, the sweat, the tears is working and so on. There was something about the image that I saw in that mirror that motivated me to think and to act a certain way. And then when I go to another mirror and I have a look, you know, and it, it doesn't make me look like I'm expanding and getting bigger and tougher and stronger, then it causes different reactions and, and responses from me. And maybe I might get a bit demotivated and think, well, nothing's changing, it's not working, so hang on, before you give up, I'll go back to your bathroom mirror and, oh, yes, now it's working again, you know. Um, the image that we have reflects in how we live our life. Now, it, the image that we have of God can have a large impact on how we live our life. The image that each of us have of God reflects in how we feel about ourselves. The image that we have of God will be reflected in the way we view other people and the way we treat other people. I was watching a movie last night called God's Not Dead. Anyone seen that film? <coughs> God's Not Dead. Brilliant movie. Oh, geez, it was, it was really good. I am highly recommending, if you get a chance, God's Not Dead, it's called Get It Out and, and watch it. I won't tell you what the movie's about, but there is a scene in there where I college student is debating with a professor of philosophy about the existence of God. And there's a statement that he made, and he made this statement. He said, the philosophy professor is going, there's no God, therefore there's no, such, no absolutes in life. And so the college student said, well, if there's no absolutes in God, then that would mean it would be okay for me to cheat on my exam in this class. This is what he's saying to the professor. I could cheat and pass, and you could do nothing about it but pass me. You couldn't fail me for cheating because there's no absolute, there's no right or wrong. So it doesn't matter how I come to the, the conclusion of getting an A grade, you couldn't fail me because you're telling me there's no right and wrong. So I can get that grade any way I want. And what he was doing was going, this is your view of the world. This is how you see life and you see no God, therefore there's no absolute, there's no right and wrong. You can do whatever you want. And his point was, no, there is a God. There is a God. How many of you know that the question of the existence of God is actually a modern man question? Did you know that? It's only come about in the last hundred so years. If you go back any time before that, people would have laughed at you if you said there was no such thing as a God. Isn't it funny how the world's changed? You would have been laughed at. You would have been ridiculed and burned at a stake maybe for daring to suggest there was no such thing as a God. This is how fast society's changed in the last hundred or so years. The question used to be that which God is the most powerful, therefore worthy of my worship? That was the question in ancient times. Which God is the most powerful, therefore worthy of my worship? The question of the existence of God is only a modern man question. It's something that's only crept in to our Western society as we've apparently gotten smarter. <coughs> but our image of God plays a massive role in how we live our lives. If I was to ask you the question, who is God? Who is God? A.W. Tozer, uh, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that for a second. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what comes into your mind? Because what comes into your mind, you'll generally find, will create a framework for what you allow, what you think is acceptable, what you consider to be good, right, holy, honourable, what you disallow, what you don't think is right. It'll come back to this image in this picture of God. 
You know, the image of God that you have plays a large role in how you approach God, how you see God. If you think God is a judge, if you think God is a disinterested being, well then maybe you would not be able to approach the throne of grace with boldness like the Bible says that we should. Why? Because your image of God. You think God's a harsh judge, so you don't want to come before him. You don't want to get pounded, you know? Maybe you have an image of God that he doesn't really care. There are no moral absolutes. He just loves you uh, and, and doesn't care about your lifestyle choices. Therefore, you can be doing whatever you want and feel like you can just come lavishly before God and you know, forget the holiness of God, request anything of God, expect anything to happen. The way that we view God, the image that we have of God, the picture we have of God is so important to us that Tozer says it's actually the most important thing about us. And you know what? I think I tend to agree with that statement. And I think about my own life, my own journey with God. Over the next few weeks, I want to spend some time looking at this issue of the image of God. I want to take a bit of a journey down what I would probably call God's father heart. You know, when the disciples in in Luke 11, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And the first thing that Jesus said to the disciples was this. He said, this is how you pray, our Father. He said, our Father. Of all the things that Jesus could have started with, of all the ways that he could have taught the disciples to approach God, and that's what they were saying. They were saying, John's disciples know how to approach God because John taught them, how do you approach God? And so they said to Jesus, can you, you, you teach us, just as John taught you, how do we approach God? And the first thing that Jesus said there was, here's how you approach God. You approach God as your father. Now that alone can conjure up all kinds of thoughts and images for people these days because how many of you know that we haven't all had perfect role models as fathers? We haven't all had uh, great examples of who a father should be. Uh, I know my father loves me. I know that my dad loves me. But you know what? My dad never had time for me. My dad never taught me anything. You know? He would just say, give it here and do it all. Uh, He was too tired always to be with me. There were a lot of things about my father. I know he loves me, and I'm not being disrespectful. I know he loves me. But there were a lot of things that he didn't do. A lot of ways in which he didn't interact with me. A lot of ways in which he wouldn't accept me. And that's not being disrespectful, that's just the truth. That's the reality. And that shapes the way that I saw God. I remember on my uh, Youth with a Mission uh, discipleship training school that I did, I just got saved, 19 years of age, I wished up to to join this mission organisation and they had a whole week on the topic of the Father Heart of God, they called it. You know, it was the most boring week of my life. You know why? Because it just didn't connect with me. I couldn't relate to God as a father. Here's Jesus saying to the disciples that the very first thing you need to understand about God, if you're going to start to approach him yourself, the very first thing you need to understand is that he's a father. Now, it just went way over my head. I couldn't understand what the the teacher was talking about for the week. They gave me a book to read. I read it and made no sense because I couldn't connect with this image of God as a father. It was very, very difficult. But as time's gone on, I've learnt that I've got a fractured and broken view of God because I have a fractured and broken view of, of a father. And unless we have a perfect view of a father, we will carry that picture into our 
image of God. We'll carry that in to what we see. Over the next few weeks, I want to unpack a few things along these lines. Now, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want you to be praying. How many of you know that it's not what you know that changes your life? It's what you do with what you know. I'm believing over the next few weeks that the Spirit of God is going to speak to us. That God wants to do things in our hearts, you know. God might want to bring some things up. God might want to touch a few areas of our lives. God might uh, want to show us some things we haven't seen before. He might want to open our eyes to get some perspective on things that maybe we haven't had perspective on. I, I, I don't believe when we come to church, or I'm hoping you don't, I'm hoping and praying that nobody comes here just to listen to a great speaker um, because I'm here, for a start. But apart from that, I hope we're not here just to gain knowledge because we don't want to just gain knowledge. God wants to interact with us and God wants to change us. Now, over the next few weeks, don't be surprised if, if, if God starts to tweak things and touch things because I, I wasn't wanting to speak on this. As a matter of fact, what I wanted to speak on for the next few weeks, I wanted to actually speak on the will of God. How do we find the will of God for our life? What does it look like? And I was really excited about going down that path and journey with you, but I really felt like God said, no, no, I want you to start to go down this path of the Father, heart of God. It was confirmed for me by an email I got a week ago from a, a, a youth with a mission school, actually, where they emailed me and said, oh, would you come and speak on a school? And they said, what can you speak on? And I said, oh, I, I usually speak on evangelism everywhere I go. Um, and they emailed me back and said, we would really love you to come and speak on the Father, heart of God. I thought, God, maybe you are, this is you. So I feel that God wants to take us on a little bit of a journey. And that journey is going to be about our image of God. How do we see God? How do we see God? What we think about when we hear God is the most important thing about us. Now, the Bible says that we were created in the image of God. When Adam and Eve were first created, they were what I like to refer to as fully human. That's when humanity was complete, unbroken, full. That's when uh, relationships were perfect. I mean, Adam and Eve, I'm I'm sure, I can't imagine what it was like for them, but I can imagine that they would have had discussions about things. You know, they would have talked to each other. They would have laughed together. They would have shared opinions, perspectives, and so on, you know. Um, Eve might have sat there while Adam, you know, explained how he came up with the name rhinoceros for that thing over there, you know. And that would have been a great conversation because I'd love to know who comes up with the name rhinoceros for anything. But somehow Adam did for this animal that's running around in Africa right now. And they would have discussed and talked and so on. Their relationship was pure. The Bible says God would come down in the cool of the day and walk around in a garden with them. I mean, that's just amazing. That's amazing. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who formed them out of the dust of the ground, came down and would spend time with them in the garden. Would walk around and would talk with them. I I don't know what he said to them. There's no record of the conversations that went on. But we do have this picture of a perfect world with people who are fully human. Before our image was fractured, our image of God, our image of self-image, before all that stuff was broken down and mankind was fully human. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 3... Genesis chapter 3, it says this in verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. In the New King James Version, it says that, that the serpent was more cunning than any of the other animals. So I want you to imagine this. God's made this perfect world. We have no idea how long the time frame is between Genesis uh, the story of creation and the story of the fall. We actually have no idea what the time frame was. 
Okay? It doesn't tell us. Uh, was it a year, five years, ten years? Were they walking around for 20 years before Adam and Eve? We don't know. But it's irrelevant. But what we do know is this. There was this serpent that we would know today as the devil, and he was shrewd, he was cunning, he was crafty, he was smart. And he sat back and he looked at this beautiful creation that God had made. And he went, where's the Achilles heel? What's the one thing that I can do to destroy it all? What's the one thing I can do to break down this relationship between the creator and its creation? What can I do? And the Bible says he was cunning. He was crafty. In other words, he thought about this. It wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment decision. He was thinking about, what can I do to separate creation from creator? And it's interesting when you read the rest of the story. What he does is he comes along and he says, did God say this? Did he? Is that, huh? And he kind of puts a bit of a twist on why God would say that. You see, Adam and Eve are sitting there thinking, well, God said don't do that because God's a loving God. He knows what's best for us as human beings. That's why he said it. End of story. And the devil comes along and goes, oh, let's, let's see if I can't twist your image of him just a little bit. Let's see if I can't bring a, a bit of a crack in that picture that you have of this perfect loving God who's doing all this for your benefit. Is that really what he said? Really? Let me give you a secret. God's not that good. God's actually a little bit insecure. He doesn't want you eating that because then you'll be like him. God's a little bit insecure, a bit nervous and scared, you know. Never mind the fact that they're already created in the image of God. But you see what the enemy does? He comes on in and he hates their view, their image, their picture of who God is. Now, here's a thought, interesting thought. From that very moment in time, man has struggled with his image and picture of who God is to the point that the world has billions of different religious ideas out there now. All these different pictures of God, all these different religions and ideologies and philosophies, they all find their root in this one moment in time. Where the devil came on in and said to creation, I'm just going to twist your image of God a little bit. And we lost that pure picture of who God was. And destruction came into the world. And all throughout mankind, we have continued to create images of God and new religions and new ways and so on. Man-made things to try to find a way back to God, to try to give us a, a picture of who God is. And based on that picture, we live out our life and certain things are acceptable and certain things are not and so on. But it all comes back to that moment in time where the enemy came, the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, I know you've got a picture of God. I know that you think he's good. Let me twist that a little bit. Let me give you something else to think about. And they bought into it and they changed their image of God and went and did what we now know took that fruit, ate that fruit and so on and lost that perfect thing that I like to call being fully human. And mankind has never been the same ever since. And as a matter of fact, part of our journey as Christians is that when the Bible says we are being conformed into the image of Christ, what it means is we come to faith and then we begin this journey on becoming fully human again. Where God starts looking at our world and going, you know, I want to deal with that. I want to touch on that. I want to bring healing here. I want to bring wholeness there. I want to patch up that hurt and patch up that wound and so on. And that's part of the discipleship process is that we are going on a journey to becoming fully human again. But the starting point of that journey is to come back to the beginning and get a right image of God. 
We've got to go back and get a correct picture of who God is. Broken relationship with the Creator led to a broken creation. It led to a broken creation. From that point on, we see mankind, and I mean, you read the Old Testament, you'll see all kinds of weird things going on. People sacrificing their children and thinking that that's what God wants. You look at living the world that we live in today, people think that by strapping a bomb to themselves and walking into a crowded supermarket, that that's what God wants. And all of these things come back to their image of God. Who is God? What does God want from you? What does God expect from you? How does God relate to you? It all comes back to mankind's image of God. And it was broken right there in the Garden of Eden. And God wants us to have that image of him restored. Because I think until that image of God is restored, it's very hard for us to begin that journey to becoming fully human again. The starting point was the crack in that picture of God. And God wants to restore that picture. He wants to restore the way that we see him. That's part of the journey of being a Christian. In Genesis 3, 1 to 13, it says this all the way through. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. In other words, God's not telling you the truth. You can't trust God. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. That moment their eyes were open they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. They'd heard this a million times before. Never once had they responded like this. So they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. You gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate. Three things broke down at that moment in creation. Three things happened at that point. First of all, mankind's image of self was distorted. The way we saw ourselves changed. You know, Adam and Eve had been the same people for we don't know how long standing there in the presence of one another. They'd stood there in the presence of God for how long we don't know. And after this moment, after that, that image of God is tainted, in this moment, the image of self has changed. The Bible says they saw that they were naked. They were always naked, but all of a sudden they saw it and what was not a problem before now became a problem. You know, we still battle with self-image, don't we? People battle with self-image. That's what, that's what makes social media such a craze. You know, people are on there trying to create images of who they are and, and, and people in real life might, might struggle, might have one friend or, or, or struggle to socialise with people, but they get on Facebook and make a profile and they've got 500 friends and it makes them feel good. You know? People put pictures up on, 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 on Twitters and whatever the other things are and stuff and, 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 and value themselves and get their self-esteem out of how other people respond to that stuff. What they say can either make or break their day because we're looking for self-image. 
You know, we look to TV, what's the latest craze? What are people wearing? What are they drinking? What are they eating? How they, and, 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 and we're chasing around this image because we don't like ourselves. We don't feel good about ourselves. So we're looking for external things to try to tell us what's suitable and who we should be, how we should respond and so on because at the fall, our image of ourselves was tainted. We don't realise that we are beautiful beyond description. We don't realise that we have the very fingerprints of God upon us. What other image can compete with that? What can make you more special than to know that he loves you with an ever-ending love? You know? But we search out there. Why? Because our self-image. It was broken at the fall. They looked around and they saw that they were naked. And they hid themselves. The second thing that happened is that our image of others was also distorted at the Garden of Eden as well. Adam and Eve probably got along really well before the fall. And then all of a sudden, God walks in the garden. What's going on? And the first thing Adam does is he goes, she's the problem. This woman you gave me, God, you gave it to me. You and her, you need to go over the back there and have a chat about this. One of you guys are screwed up big time. I'm going to pay the price for this. I know I am. But hey, you gave her to me. You two go and have a chat. You work it out, repent, sort it out and come back. Because it's not my problem, God. You gave her. You gave her. And, and straight away, there's this thing. Straight away between them, he's pointing a finger at her going, it's your fault. She did this. There was a breakdown in relationship. We broke down the way we saw each other. Instead of her being seen as a helper suitable, now she was seen as a problem. Instead of her being a gift from God, now she's a part of the curse. There's a breakdown in the way that we see ourselves. There was also a breakdown in the way that we saw other people. And we can still be like that now. We live in a world where people are helps or hindrances. It's not normal for us to look at another person and straight away think that's a, crea- that's a person created in the image of God, loved by God. People are generally helps or hindrances. That's the way a lot of people see people. You're a help to me, so I'll take the time to be with you and to ask you how your day was and to want to invest into you and so on. And you're a hindrance to me, so I'm going to make sure I go over this way to keep away from you. Getting to know you at work, that's going to be good for my career. It'll help me get up the ladder, so I'll... I'll schmooze you and wine and dine you and so on and you won't get me anywhere. You read it in self-help books. What do all the self-help books say? The books about success and wanting to get somewhere. They'll always say to you, find people who are, away, who are ahead of you. Spend time with people who are ahead of you. Well, I hope the people you're spending time with haven't read that book because they won't be wanting to spend time with you. It makes no sense. Yet we read this stuff and this is the way that we're told in the world to get ahead and so on and to make it. So the image that we have of ourselves was distorted. At the fall, the image that we have of others was distorted too. People are now things. We don't look at them with the unconditional love of God anymore, value them the way that we should. We want to, a lot of us want to, but there's stuff inside of us, fractured, broken things that don't allow us to do it. We want to love ourselves, but there are fractured, broken things, shards in our heart, that don't fully allow us to do it. A lot of times they may not be things that we've done, could be things that have been done to us. Experiences that we had in life. You know, as parents, we've all made mistakes and we've all done things that if we could have our time, again, we wouldn't do to our kids. We wouldn't speak to them that way. We wouldn't have said that comment in frustration or anger. We wouldn't have avoided them or ignored them in that moment because now in hindsight they really needed me at that point. 
So we all think that way. We all know that as parents, we understand that. Well, and those moments, they shape not only us. We're sitting here now shaped with regret going, geez, I wish I... And our kids are there going... Oh. You know, I remember when I was uh, uh, about 12 years of age, 13 years of age, and we had moved from Sydney and we moved out to Mudgee. And uh, I've always been a keen rugby league player and I love playing rugby league. And when I moved to Mudgee at 12 years of age, I wanted to, to play football, but I had to get a release from the Claymore Panthers. Western suburbs of Sydney, so I could go and play. And I remember badgering my parents, going, can, can, you get the, can you get me the release? And they said, yeah, we've got to get a birth certificate. And back in those days, it wasn't obviously online and click buttons. No, you had to actually fill out a paper form and send it off to birth, deaths and marriages. And they had to read it and they had to send the thing back. And it was a long process. And I remember the deadline to sign up for rugby league for Mudgee. And, and the deadline came and it never arrived. The, birth, the piece of paper didn't come. To be honest, I don't, know, I don't think they even applied for it. They just kept saying, no, no, you will get it, we'll get it. And I remember being shattered and I remember going, you know, where's this birth certificate? I've got to sign up today. And I remember uh, one of my parents, without even thinking about it, saying, look, don't worry about it. They could see I was distressed. I said, don't worry about it. You were never that good anyway. They didn't mean to hurt me. They got their own journey and they had their own stuff going on. But you know what? It was a shard in my heart. It fractured something inside of me broke something inside of me. And things like this happen to us all the time. And, you know, we become adults. We become pretty good at sort of pushing that stuff down, don't we, and pretending that no, we're mature adults now and it doesn't affect us anymore, it doesn't hurt us. You know what? That's not true. We've probably just gotten used to the pain. We've probably just gotten used to it. You know, I've got drop foot in my, my right leg. I, I went to bed uh, some years back and... Woke up overnight. The doctors don't know how it happened, but I can do that. I can't do it with my right foot. I've got no movement in it. I've had surgery and two years of, of specialists and everything, and they just can't work out what the problem was. They've cut me open, got a big scar down the leg there, and they did all kinds of stuff. And in the end, they called me into the surgery specialist at the Gold Coast and said, we, we, we need to wash our hands of this. We can't help you. We don't know what the problem is. But, you know, since that, I've, I've, I've learned to walk differently. You wouldn't even know I've got that problem if I hadn't pointed it out to you, most likely, unless you, when I walk, you hear a, my right foot's like a mousetrap. Jackie says, I can, well, I can always tell when Dad, when Alan's coming. Slap, 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 <laughs> slap. <laughs> but you know what? I've just adjusted the way I walk. I just walk different now. But you know what it's done? Now I have problems on the right side of my body because I've made adjustments other parts of my body hurt. Now my hips are a bit sore. My hips are actually about that far out of whack. And a whole bunch of things have happened as a result of that pain and that thing not being able to be fixed and healing brought. And it's like that with our lives. When healing doesn't come into our world, we, we, can, we can suppress things. We can pretend that they don't matter anymore. We can pretend we're mature, we're old now. We've gotten over it and so on. But the truth of the matter is where we're fractured on the inside in our image of self, where we've broken down and fractured our image of others and so on, that those pains and those things hurt. And they have an impact on our life, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we can see it or not. You know, the interesting thing is most of the time it's people around you can see it, but you can't. Most of the time other people can see this stuff in us, but we can't, you know. But I believe it's the will of God to bring healing to us. It's the will of God to, to, to restore. It's the will of God to open prison doors and set captives free. Amen. It's the will of God to, to heal up the wounds. You know, there might be things that he can't undo because they've happened. And, and God can't take me back to a child and stop that thing from being said to me. But what he can do is help me 
understand how he feels about me. What he can do is help me understand perhaps the pain that my parent was going through. You see, hurt people hurt people, don't they? That's just, that's life. Hurt people hurt people. And that's why everybody in this room has hurt somebody at some point. Because deep down inside, we're all hurting. We've all got stuff. I believe over the next few weeks, God wants to help us with some of this stuff. Get real. Get down and dirty, nitty-gritty, whatever terminology you want to use. You see, at the fall, the first thing that happened is the enemy came and he changed their image of God. And once their image of God was changed, the flow-on effect was it changed their image of self and it changed their image of others. And if we want to learn to have our image of others change to a more godly perspective and picture, if we want our self-image to change and line up with what God says about us, then we need to go back first and look at our image of God. Because that's where it broke down in the first place. That's where mankind went from being fully human and began a journey to walking away from that. And if we're going to begin that journey to come back to being fully human, we've got to go back to the place where it broke down initially. And that was our image of God. Who is God? What do we think of when we hear the word God? Who do we think God is? Luke 11, 1 and 2. If you just whack that up on the screen for me. Luke, and we'll finish this up now. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how we should pray, Father. 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 You know, the main image of God that Jesus communicated to the world was that God's a Father. God's a Father. So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Look at this issue of God being a father. If God's a father, then that makes us his children. When Jesus said to the disciples, you need to approach him as a father, that meant you need to come to him as a child. You need to come to him as a child. I'm believing over the next few weeks that God's going to speak to us. And God's going to help us with that image that we have of him because if we have a distorted view of God we'll have a distorted view of everything else I believe what A.W. Tozer said that what I think about God is the most important thing about me and I believe the same for you and I hope over the next few weeks that God opens up our eyes to that because we sang this morning God is a good good father Amen. it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am We're going to look at who God is. And in doing so, we'll get a true picture of who we are as well. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your presence with us, God. Lord, I'm just reminded again of of what Jesus said the very first time he stood up in a synagogue. And he opened up the prophet Isaiah. And he declared in that moment, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. He has anointed me to proclaim freedom to the captives, liberty to those who are oppressed, recovery of sight for the blind, and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And God, that, I believe, is what you want to do in our lives, God.
Father, I believe that is the mandate of Christ, Lord. Uh, Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, then it makes sense, God, that that's your work. Healing, delivering, restoration, freedom. That's what you do, Father. I want to thank you for uh, that in your word. And I want to thank you for this time this morning. God, I pray as these weeks unfold, God, you would open up our eyes, Lord. Father, help us to be strong and courageous. God, help us not to shy away from, Lord, any, any pain that you may bring to the surface, God. Father, help us to understand how to manage and how to deal with the things that may come up, Lord, as we look at our image of you. Father, help us to be humble enough to acknowledge that we, we don't know it all. And we don't have a perfect view of you, God. None of us do. But Lord, help us to journey with you and to walk with you through this process, God. And in doing so, be more and more conformed into the image of your Son. Father, I pray for each of us as we leave here today, God. Uh, give us a great week. Watch over us. Keep us safe. And God, give us an opportunity this week to tell somebody who doesn't know you who you are. Anoint us and empower us, God. Father, I pray this week that we would pray for the sick and that we would see healing. That, God, we would uh, speak to people that don't know you and their eyes would be opened up. God, I pray this week that you would, God, lead us by the hand and take us into demonic situations where we can, with your authority, God, break chains and bondages and push back the enemy and build and increase and expand the borders of the kingdom of God. Father, we pray all this this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to hang around up front here just for a few seconds. If, if anybody would like prayer this morning for anything, um, then we'd love to pray with you. Uh, I, I believe in prayer, and I believe that a step of faith is when we step out of our chair, we can sit there and go, no, I'll just do business with God. And you can do that. God's, God's wonderful like that. But I just believe that God wants to begin to stir up in our hearts faith. God wants to begin to stir up some things amongst us. We're not just here to have a religious meeting. I believe God wants to reveal himself, move amongst us, show himself to us. I'm expecting to see healings. I'm expecting to see deliverance. I'm expecting to see prison doors opened up. I feel like God's saying, come on, people, it's time. It's time to step into some of this stuff. So uh, we're going to hang, hang around up the front here. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. Um, there's two biscuits left up the back there. I don't mind if one of them gets taken. Um, and uh, other than that, we'll see you see later on. God bless, guys.